You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katzman, he's here Sunday morning, 14 days to Christmas. We have one great show for you today. We have former Congressman Peter King, former Governor David Patterson. We'll find out where the Democrats and Republicans stand. Suzanne Miller will talk about real estate. We have Charlie Rango. He is one great personal friend, and he is a, a person that tells it the way it is. Let's start off with Eva Moskowitz, one great lady that runs 49 charter schools, the fifth largest system in New York State. Uh, I mean, you looks like 100% the success of your charter schools is phenomenal uh, in comparison to the problems our kids are having uh, in our city and nationwide. Yeah, I mean, John, you know this uh, so well, but the you know education problem is a national crisis. The, the U.S. unfortunately is falling further and further behind. The NAEP scores came out uh, just a little while ago, and just when you think it couldn't get any worse, the scores came out, and in fact. Um, we are declining. And what's sad about it is very painful is that, you know, the, the kids who are suffering the most are, you know, low income, largely black and brown children. And that's, of course, who Success Academy serves largely. Um, so we've got a lot of work to do in New York City, in the state, in the country. And, John, I have to say, we don't have endless amounts of time to solve this crisis. You know, we had an educational crisis before the pandemic, and now we're in danger of possibly losing an entire generation of kids if we can't figure out how to do this better. And, you know, states like New York spend a lot of money on education, so I don't think that explains um, why kids are not getting what they need and they're not getting what they need from an academic point of view. The math scores are just really um, uh, terrible, but they're also not getting. I the think she, what, what number are we in the, in the world in, in uh, mathematics? Uh, we're about uh, number 16 or 17. There are different tests, so it, it depends a little bit uh, on, on the exam. Um, but, you know, for one of the wealthiest countries in the world to be that far down, you know, you have some pretty small, uh, gritty countries who are outperforming the United States of America. Did, did, did COVID hurt us a great deal in our country? Oh, it did. Uh, ravaged the country, um, you know, aside from the million-plus deaths that we had, uh, and those were mostly uh, poorer people, uh, it had a devastating educational impact on our children. Uh, you know, soft skills as well as academic skills, you know, you had a tremendous number of fights, physical fights, when kids came back because there was so much isolation. There was so much time where 
Uh, kids were not learning to use their words to resolve conflict. Um, you had academic loss where kids, you know, were not doing mathematics for a year and a half. Uh, you know, our most elite students, our wealthiest students, many of their parents got them private tutors, and so they escaped the worst of it. But if you're a kid living in public housing with not a lot of resources and you attended a district school, most likely you had very little interaction with your teacher. I mean, we ran school differently. Uh, we don't love Zoom school, but we gave it our all. We had real classes, we had real content, we assessed the kids, we did the best we could in having art and sending our kids art kits. Um, we did dance classes online. I was just talking to one of our dance teachers, and we were reminiscing that she danced and taught through the whole pandemic on her Zoom, and the kids danced. But that took a lot of effort and a tremendous commitment that we were going to keep going and be there for our kids. But I always say, John, that if we could only do one thing in schooling and, and we couldn't necessarily change the accountability system or change the incentives, we could only do one thing, I would make sure that children know how to read and love to read. Because if children can read well, they can teach themselves anything. I agree. Well, Eva Moskowitz, the Success Academy Schools, thank you so much for teaching our 20,000 kids, fifth largest in the, in the state, and uh, God bless you, and you're doing God's work, and God bless America. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you, John. Congressman King, it's 14 days to Christmas. Already all the presidential candidates in the Republican Party are saying, we're ready to go. Let's talk about it. Who do you think the the top five candidates are. People that are in a position to move in to fill the vacuum could be uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. Uh, now, he had a very impressive re-election uh, victory. Uh, he basically has the same positions as Donald Trump on you know, the key issues, but he's able to express them in a way that uh, doesn't create unnecessary liability. Uh, he's able to focus on what he's saying and not get sidetracked. How he'll stand up in a national campaign, I don't know. It's like going from off-Broadway to Broadway. You know, Can you make that difference? To Senator Tim Scott of uh, South Carolina. Who he's is, very I good. He, he he's house, very good, too. Very sharp. And also, being African-American, it could uh, enable Republicans to pick up votes in minority areas that we haven't gotten in recent years, even though we have been making a lot of progress. We can improve that progress. Then you have uh, Governor Yunkin in uh, Virginia, who scored a big upset uh, last year in uh, 2021. And uh, he really, again, shows himself able to handle hot-button issues without antagonizing people uh, and being able to express himself. He seems and he has, uh, said to me, he has said to me privately that he's going to run. Well, okay, well, then, you know, you would know. I think he could be a very strong candidate, again, uh, it's the difference between running in Virginia and running nationwide. But what he's shown in Virginia, he's shown real ability. He's able to reach out, for instance, to parents of kids who uh, are, are angry at the way that kids are being taught in schools. Uh, he's able to uh, articulate, I think, quite a lot of 
voters who feel that they've been ignored over the years, he's able to reach out to them and be very inclusive because nobody in the beginning expected him to beat Terry McAuliffe in the uh, governor's race, but he did it, and he did it uh, really, you know, really convincingly. So uh, he also has to be looked at. Uh, Mike Pompeo, the uh, former Secretary of State, former Congressman. In fact, I served with uh, Mike on the Intelligence Committee. We sat next to each other. He's a very, very able, sharp guy. Uh, listen, he survived the whole four years of the Trump administration, first as head of the CIA, and then as Secretary of State. So he's shown that he can handle himself, not just on a national level, but also a, uh, you know, on the uh, the world stage. And I, I have great regard for Mike. I've known him. And he's, uh, uh, he was number one in his class at West Point. Uh, he was a tank commander in Europe. And he was a uh, an honor student at Harvard Law School. So, you know, Mike has it all. But again, how he would do as far as campaigning around the country, we don't know. And then, of course, the former vice president, Mike Pence, who I believe you're going to be meeting with soon, John. I mean, I knew Mike when he was in the House. I worked with him when he was vice president. I knew when he was governor of Indiana. So he's, uh, again, top talent. But uh, uh, I think many of the Trump people may be against Mike because they felt he should have done more to overturn the last election. But, uh, again, very solid. He'd be an excellent president if, if he got into the Oval Office. So, again, the Republicans have a number of top candidates. And each day, I think Donald Trump's uh, numbers are going down. And most of it, as much as he's being attacked on the outside, he was uh, from the outside. He was always able to handle that in the past. But now the self-inflicted wounds are the ones that are really weakening his position. I think it's down to those five or six. You know, they're all quality candidates. They really are. Yeah. Yep. And let's go back to New York State. I have a house in Suffolk. You you have a house in Nassau. How come we feel safer walking around Suffolk County or Nassau County than we do walking around our city? Mayor Adams says that we have to uh, get the mentally ill off the streets and get them into treatment. They're not criminals. I mean, some may carry out crimes. But for the most part, these are sick individuals who are just uh, really harassing, throwing people down the subway stairs and throwing people onto the subway tracks. They're just slashing people uh, on buses, on the sidewalks, and uh, whether it's a uh, a low-income neighborhood, a high-income neighborhood, middle-income neighborhood, no one in New York City really is safe. So it's important that the cops know, the police officers know, that when they carry out what they're asked to do, that the uh, bosses are going to stand behind them. I know that Commissioner Sewell will. I have great respect and regard for her, but we have to make sure that everyone does. Well, Congressman King, thank you for coming on this Sunday morning. Let's go out and do some Christmas shopping because it's only 14 days to Christmas. You got it. Okay, John. Thank Thank you. you. We'll catch up again soon. You're listening to a show that isn't about finding Republican or Democratic ideas. It's just focused on finding solutions. It's the Cats Roundtable. With us today is former Governor David Patterson. It's 14 days till Christmas. What's going on in New York, New York City, New York State, and, and, and the world Governor Patterson, uh, you're getting ready to do your Christmas shopping. I uh, we got our Christmas tree the other day, and uh, um, there are presents under it. I don't know where they came from because I didn't put any of them there. But I think I better get some there within the next two weeks. And I think to, to keep peace in the household, you always make sure you uh, you're prepared. Absolutely. <laughs> Albany, are they coming to their sanity yet? Well, it's hard to say there hasn't been any um, uh, real work out of Albany. Uh, the one thing that's hanging over them is whether or not 
they're going to seat the gentleman who won uh, in uh, Brooklyn, though he had voted prior to that in Manhattan. And had he been challenged, he wouldn't have been able to run. But that invites the question of uh, almost the same problem that we had in the 2020 election. To have a society that's based on uh, law, it also has to be based on timing. And if you didn't get your uh, objections in in time, it's kind of hard to go back and say, oh, we found something out about you, uh, you know, six months later. And for that reason, you shouldn't have been elected. And uh, I think that's the value that you might want to favor, even though the person may have done something wrong. Now, oddly enough, if they do refuse to see him, and this is in the assembly, they do refuse to see him, there'll be a special election. He'll win the special election, and by that time, he will have been a resident in Brooklyn for a year. So it'll all work out, but it was a kind of interesting legal challenge and all the legal challenges we've had to go through in the last two or three years. But I think he'll wind up staying there. It only makes common sense. And, uh, well, you know, we're trying to get him on to find out uh, what's going on with him. Uh, Tell us about... uh, uh, is the governor getting along better with uh, a hasty, uh, the assembly leader, and and with Stuart Cousins? And uh, uh, have you got any yeah. temperature on it? I think so. And the governor did not bring up some issues, you know, during the campaign. The only thing she brought up that they might not have liked is that she held the budget up for nine days, trying to get um, stronger. Uh, uh, measures passed to prevent crime, and they weren't exactly cooperating with her. But she didn't; she wasn't, uh, uh, you know, uh, antagonistic toward them during the time she was campaigning. So I would think that all is—it's uh, a honeymoon right now. We'll wait till the session starts up in January and see how they how they work. Also, I think um, legislators when they are in Albany, I mean, they're not in Albany all week, but when, when they're in Albany, they're not always getting to see the changes right in their own districts. And I think when a lot of those legislators got home during the summer, they found out that there's a tremendous fear about crime, uh, and a feeling that it's unaddressed, even though the statistics about crime in this era aren't nearly what they were 20 and at some points 30 years ago, I think the reason that the fear factor is up is because the crimes can happen anywhere now. They're not confined to local neighborhoods and certain districts. They can happen right in the middle of uh, Manhattan, right on the Upper East Side and all the places that were considered to be the safest. Uh, And many of the crimes are are being perpetrated by people with severe mental health difficulties. I think on this one, the mayor has really been very proactive and that it not only will help to keep individuals like that off the streets, it's going to help the individuals themselves. Now what we need to do is what we should have been doing the last 15 or 20 years is reversing the deinstitutionalization of the late 70s that carried uh, into the 90s that doesn't allow us to have enough beds to house these people. The dumb people that made those stupid laws about uh, they have the right to be uh, homeless in the street. Really have to question. Yeah, the I question their, their sanity. That, that the, 
but uh, that 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 being in the street homeless with very little clothing and and no shelter is a choice. How could that ever really be a choice? That is dumb, dumb. Uh, what else is open uh, new? Uh, have you heard anything uh, on the uh, the New York Times strike? Forty. First time in 40 years. What the hell happened there? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> they certainly wrote some uh, long articles this week about uh, friends of the mayor, and they wrote some articles about uh, uh, just the uh, the uh, uh, movement of uh, taxation around the country to, at different venues. But... Uh, it, even in the all, all that's fit to all the news that's fit to print, it wasn't all the news because now they've got a a labor problem right within their own office. Well, uh, David Patterson, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, the Christmas holidays. We need something to be jolly about. Uh, we've all been sad the last year or so. God bless you and uh, God bless America. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, and John, congratulations on the great event you're going to have for Frank Sinatra's birthday tonight and all the people who are going to come and attend. And, of course, happy birthday to a WABC employee that we both know. His name is Anthony Sliwa. Wow. Happy birthday, Anthony Sliwa. Thank you so much, and uh, I hope to see him. Take care. Take care. Today is Sunday, 14 days from Christmas. Well, what's going on in the real estate market? With us today, Suzanne Miller to give us an update. And uh, what's going on, Suzanne? Hey, John. Let's let's uh, let's plug in Empire State Properties, my company, specializing in New York City. And there's some challenges going on right now. Um, mortgage rates are up 70 percent from last year, which is absolutely affecting the first-time buyers. And I think the investors are even are getting a little queasy right now, although it's not panic. It's definitely a correction. Well, I definitely nobody's looking, at, looking to go out to buy a lot of property because uh, they, unless they're paying cash for it, they can't leverage it. Yeah, we're seeing that the right now it's a buyer's market, and they want contingencies. They're asking for things that we've switched from a seller's market to a buyer's market, and things are sitting on the market a lot longer. It's not panic, but things are absolutely sitting around longer than they have. Um, in the last three months, I see a, a the switch, and that's because of the mortgage rates. You were talking about co-ops and condos. I'm talking mm-hmm. about going out and buying real buildings. Uh, you know, <laughs> unless the thing is for nothing, I'm not going to buy the building. I think unless you're going to be given a very good deal and you're going to pay cash, cash is king again. It's turning back around. And I think that sellers want to do deals. So if you're going to come in and you're going to offer cash, uh, I'm seeing a lot of my foreign investors now calling and telling me they'll pay cash. Can they get a discount? They're looking for 20%. I don't think it's going to come off more than 10 right now. I think we could look at about a 10% discount. But this could, quite, this could quickly uh, change. Remember, it has gone up about 40% over the last several years. So we're still be- better than we were. But we have to watch this very carefully. Now, tell me about the rental market. What do you hear about that? So the rental market, particularly since you had all the tech companies coming to the cities like New York, Boston, San Francisco, and they pulled back now. So they pulled back on their commercial. I see that the rentals are not as robust as they were. 
we're fine, but all of a sudden the landlords have to now give concessions as well. Landlords are now offering brokerage fees again to bring clients to the buildings. They're giving two, three weeks. It's very quiet, and it's, the, the people don't want to see this, but it's actually happening. I see it in our business right now. Is it because of the holiday period? I think it's, because, I think it's just everybody is settled. It's also t- the time of year. So it's tough to see this in, in December because December is notoriously slow anyway. But I'm seeing November, December right now, landlords, the vacancies are building, and the traffic is not like it was. So we're, we're lowering prices a bit, and uh, we have to watch this as well. Anything else you want to tell uh, New Yorkers? As I always said, I think that real estate is still the safest investment. And if you have the cash and you want to jump in, you might get some offers now. You might get some deals. But we have to watch and um, keep plugging along here. And my advice is make offers on on good properties. And if somebody says yes, pay for it, and you're going to make money on it. That's my advice. I don't think that anybody that bought real estate over the last 50 years ever lost money. So that's my final note here. You always make money, but you got to watch it. Suzanne Miller, thank you so much for an update for all New Yorkers, and God bless you, and we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you, John. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go It's 14 days till Christmas. What's going on in our city, our country? Well, one guy that's been around a long time, and he he's able to take the pulse of, of our city and our country. With us today is Charlie Rango, uh, Congressman Extraordinaire. He, 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 Charlie, Congressman Rango, how long were you in Congress? 46 years. So I guess it's you basic. learned a few things or you taught him a few things. Well, I learn every day, and I think that's what makes uh, it such a, a great country. No other idea in the world can take the near best of the best and bring them together from all parts of the world in order to make a better life for themselves and for the republic. And it was such a a great experiment. The only problem with it, you got to keep working on it. It doesn't, it doesn't stay by itself. It's just like a, a plant. You gotta, you gotta nature it. You gotta water it. You gotta take care of it. With all the elections that happened in the last uh, two months, do you see the differences between the Democrats and Republicans, Americans getting closer together or further apart? What say you? That's hard to answer because. My heart is so filled with optimism that uh, no matter what we're going through, I like to believe that somewhere along the line you can find uh, some improvements. There is absolutely no question in my mind that if you take it from the time that people who look like me uh, came to this country in chains and in bonds and separated from their families, their culture, and, uh, and and for hundreds of years were treated worse than animals were treated, and now uh, can aspire to become uh, president of the United States, mayors of the greatest city in the world. I mean, my God, that's a 
hell of an improvement. Uh, but the whole question is, with the parties, the polarization that have taken place have brought such rigidity on, on both sides of the aisle. And even now, uh, people are talking about a uh, third party. And it just seems to me, uh, without getting political on this uh, on this Christmas season, that we don't have very much left of the Republican Party. The country needs a two-party system. Uh, one party is frightening as to what can happen to our Constitution. But I don't think you have to be a partisan to take a look at Abraham Lincoln's party and say that a whole lot of repairs have to be done. The part, the part, and that's within the party. The problem we have in the country is that the partisanship is so rigid uh, that we probably need uh, somebody or some group of people that care more about our Constitution and the future of our country than they do about just winning elections. And that takes a lot of thought because I have found out and learned in my recent years that you could never know how far a public official will go in terms of getting reelected. I, I never had that choice during my 50 years of elective office, but I have found out in the last uh, uh, decade that there's hardly any limit, including a, a near destruction of our Constitution, if it means reelected. And that's not what this country should or is all about. What should people pray for this Christmas, for New Year's, for, the, for a good New Year? Well, I was only, not only, but I was in the Congress for 46 years and the New York State Legislature for four. That's why I referred to the 50 years of elective office. But I think that America and people are the same all over the world. They want a good life for themselves and a better life for their kids. It's absolutely remarkable how God has instilled a, a sense of humanity in everybody. Uh, and it's things like that that makes uh, hopeless shootings and holocausts uh, such an event because there is within all of us a feeling of compassion for those that have nothing, those that are sick, those that are aged, those that are crippled. Uh, you, you get such a sense of satisfaction. Who knows this better uh, than you on that PAL? It's not that you wait until Christmas to show uh, that you are sharing your wealth. But you do it, John, because you're selfish and you enjoy the warmth and the love that you receive from people that don't know you and you don't know them. And you and Margot, uh, they were hundreds of poor kids 
and you make their lives good. And what do you get in return? You get that sparkle in the eyes. It's like, thank whoever you are, wherever you come from, thank you. That same principle. When I when I see those kids at the police athletic league on Saturday, actually, and and the smile on their faces, and uh, that's enough. Uh, thanks for for me. It makes my it makes my day. And don't you think that everyone has a little bit of that, John? Shouldn't it be that if we have this republic and everyone knows how fortunate we've been? the bounty that we have, that we have an obligation to keep it together, to perpetuate it, to make it better for those that follow us. And to do that, we have to work on it. And everything can't go our way. We got to bring back the camaraderie uh, that Peter King and I had. Uh, When we saw this coming on, Peter would come over and sit next to me as most people know, we're Democrats by habit uh, sit on one side and Republicans on the other. There's no assigned sitting, but that's what uh, has happened over the years. And he'd come and sit next to me. I said, what's up, Pete? What do you want? He said, nothing. I just want to pee off some of my Republican friends as soon as they get back. They want to know what you and Wrangle talking about. And I would do the same thing, and we would just laugh at the opportunity. When I was in the state legislature with conservative Republicans, we used to get together to determine how we were going to do, to debate issues on the floor. And you get on the floor, you never think that we were concerned about each other's family and kids and, and all of those things. But that's what makes a family in a country uh, so great. And we we can't do it with the present leadership uh, that we have. Something has to come to say enough is enough is enough. Let's sit down. We need a true leader to put both sides together. We're not going to get it with the present leadership. we got to have people like you and others uh, to come up with a solution because This next Congress is going to be a continuation of the war, the political war, that's taken place in the last decade, and that's sad for our country. Agreed. Uh, Congressman Charlie Rangel, 46 years in the Congress, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for everything you've done for our country, and you continue to speak out for your country. Looking forward to seeing you in the near future. And thank you for all the contributions you make. You make. You don't have to do this, John, but you continue to serve and to give. God bless you and Margot. Thank you so much. With us today is my friend Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky. And every Sunday he makes us look up in the sky and say and, and wonder what's up there. And he gives us a few mysteries too. Steve Cates, uh, tell us what's going on this Sunday. So much news to talk about about Mars. Not only, John, is Mars closest to the Earth right now, and people are seeing it all over the world, but now a little update on the Mars helicopter called Ingenuity. It actually broke its own record, and it set for its 35th flight on December the 3rd. It reached an all-time altitude on Mars of some 46 feet, and it's really doing an amazing job. That little tiny four-and-a-half-pound, little tiny little 
you know, a little rover itself that it comes out of the rover, I should say. The little helicopter is doing great research. But the Perseverance rover, the wheeled rover, is also doing some incredible digging. It's digging in that Jezero crater area, digging into harder rock. And what's it trying to do, John? It's actually pulling out more material and putting them in little vials and tubes. And it's dropping them on flat areas of Mars that in the future, there's going to be a Mars sample return mission that's hopefully going to scoop up that material and return it to Earth to give us the first time in history material from the red planet Mars, which I find just totally amazing. So, John, isn't that technology just literally, no pun intended, out of this world? Yes, but I'll tell you something. I'm disappointed we haven't found more on Mars. And, you know, 20 years ago, we used to dream about going to Mars and what we're going to find. Yes. I thought we'd find something. Yes. Unfortunately, John, this is probably what's happened. Mars probably had life at one time, but the existence of, or I should say, what was on the planet Mars was destroyed. How do we know that? There's a giant area on the surface of Mars. It's the deepest area of Mars. It's called the Halas Basin. It was probably an area that an asteroid hit and literally wiped out whatever material was on the surface of Mars. They picked the Jezero Crater to find whatever they can because they see dried-up riverbeds. So you're right. With all this research that we're doing, it's a little disappointing that we haven't found anything, you know, any microbial life at this point, but the search does continue. But you well, know, you wonder have... that uh, the, the, uh, after the, mo- the, uh, uh, the movie Superman, maybe that was the planet <laughs> Krypton and all the Martians left and came to Earth. Exactly. And life probably existed on Mars, John, a long time ago. And hopefully we will find an answer to that. But we always have a mystery of the week here. And this is kind of interesting. So it goes back to the sunrises on the Earth. So where's the first sunrise over the world each day on the globe? So if you look at a globe, you see that there's this thing called the International Dateline, 180 degrees longitude, way out there in the Pacific Ocean. So if you examine it closer, there's an island chain out there, which is way out there called the Kiribati Island Chain. Why is this important? Because there's a small little area of islands inside that island nation called the Millennial Island, And that island supposedly has the first sunrise of the day way out there as days start right over the side of the line, which we call the International Date Line. But what's even more of a mystery, and people probably don't know this, where's the first sunrise in North America? All you have to do is simply look at a map, but it's a little more difficult than that. It actually exists in a place called Cape Spear, right in Newfoundland and the Labrador area. They get to see the first sunrise of the day. But finally, in conclusion of the strangeness of where the sunrise is, if you look at an American territory around the world, the good folks on the island area of Guam, they're the ones that probably get the first sunrise if you look at an American territory. John, we talk about the amazing things that happen in the sky. Mars and the moon were close this past few days. You look in the northeast, you see Mars closest to the Earth. Yeah, the great red planet, the planet that we hope to visit someday, if not within the next decade or so. But a meteor shower called the Geminids is actually peaking up. It peaks on the morning of the 14th. Meteor activity all night long, John. If you look in the northeast sky, it peaks on the morning of the 14th. And always people are wondering about the great mystery, and hopefully next week we'll talk about it in detail. What was the great mystery of the Star of Bethlehem? So many theories to talk about here on your show, as we wish everybody the best for a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, and, of course, a Happy Holiday. Well, Steve Cates, thank you so much, and uh, 
we'll catch up again real soon. Uh, we only got what, 14 more days till Christmas, and yes, and uh, and I'm lighting the menorah on, on uh, December 20th. So I'll do. I'm going to do that too. Yes, blessings to all, John, and thank you so much. Thank you. Looking for a little common sense? You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. Right on the line with us now is the New York City Schools Chancellor, David C. Banks. And he's also the former president and CEO of the Eagle Academy Foundation and the founding principal of the Eagle Academy for Young Men, the first school in a network of innovative all-boys public schools in New York City and Newark, New Jersey. He's also a lifelong New Yorker. I could go on and on. Very successful and, in the and education now system. he's running uh, our education in, uh, in New, New York, York City. City. And I don't even know what to call it anymore. I used to call it the Board of Education. Well, Chancellor, uh, we hope you can do for for our public schools, uh, public schools what what you did for those uh, charter schools. That's right. Well, well, well. First of all, let me just say uh, uh, a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to everybody there and, and your listening audience. Thank you so much, uh, John. I, I appreciate you having having me on. Uh, I, I've been a fan of yours for a long time, and. And, and those who are in the studio with you are Rudy Washington and, uh, and our former governor, uh, who is, uh, uh, I've also been a huge fan of and I've known him for many, many years. Um, I thank you all for letting me be here. Listen, let me just say this. Um, I'm going to, and what I'm engaged in is trying to help to transform the New York City public school system uh, to be a system of true excellence. And it's, it's a heavy lift. There's a lot of work to do. But we have a lot of great people. I want to make sure we're providing a real quality education for all young people that attend our schools. And, uh, and I'm going to do a lot of things that I did at Eagle Academy, but I do want to make one correction. The Eagle Academies, John, were not charter schools. They were traditional public schools. Um, wow, and, I didn't know but that. But they were very innovative public schools in the work that we were doing to help uh, black and brown boys to reach a level of excellence. So, uh Got my work cut out for me, but uh, but we're up for it. Well, uh, you know, we should have a special uh, program and give you a ten-year term. <laughs> John, John, Rudy for Washington. Pur- for the purposes of our listeners, because I don't know if uh, our listeners know the gravity or the size of of the Department of Education. And Chancellor, if if you could tell our listeners, because we have listeners as far as Europe and up and down the East Coast and fur- further out. Uh, the size of our educational system here in New York City? Well, first of all, I'll tell you, we've got, there are over a million students in New York City, um, over 900,000 that attend traditional public schools, another 141,000 that attend uh, charter schools. Um, we've got uh, 1,900 schools in New York City, 1,900. Hundred wow. schools. Uh, I mean, it's it is the largest system in the country by far. There's not even a close second. Literally, 145,000 employees. Um, we've got a annual 38 billion dollar budget. We serve over 900,000 meals a day. 170 million meals a year. Only the military comes close to the to the level, the scale of what happens. Uh, in our in our schools, and you should just know also, uh, because these numbers are a little different. Some people get surprised when I mention this. The ethnic breakdown of our New York City schools now: forty-one percent Hispanic students, twenty-four percent black, 
17% Asian and 15% white. Wow. Yep, wow. I get that. I get that response from everybody. Um, this is a very different New York City school system than it was 20 years ago. Wow. And and tell us, what is the, the key to success? Because you were just so incredibly successful with the Eagle Academy. And how do you plan on doing what you did there and putting it into the public school system? The, the theme that I'm working from here is, is, is quite simple. It's called Bright Starts and Bold Futures. Bright Starts and Bold Futures. We are making very significant investments at the earliest ages to make sure that all of our young people can read no later than the third grade. All the research tells us that if kids can't read by the third grade, you are fighting an uphill battle after that, and you have to spend so much more money and resources trying to fix something that if you get it right at the very beginning. Over the last 25 to 30 years, we changed our approach to how we even teach kids to read, and it has not worked. And, and I am returning the New York City school system back to a time and an approach that probably all of you on, 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 who are in the studio uh, were part of. We learned to read through a phonetic approach to reading. We taught phonics in our schools. And along the, uh, over the years, we, we went to something called whole language. It was a much, what was called the more progressive approach. And, and the research is, uh, the results are in. It has not worked for far too many kids. So we're going back to the old school, back to basics, and that's what I call bright starts. We have to ensure that everyone has a solid reading foundation at the beginning. But then at the end of that, what is the purpose of going to school? We want all of our kids to be on a pathway to, to careers uh, and economic prosperity. We don't want them to go to school just for the sake of going to school. They have to have a purpose. And uh, for far too many kids, we graduate, uh, John, who, who graduate, we give them a diploma, but they don't have the skills to, to take their place in business. They don't know how money is made in America. They're not civically engaged. They don't know how the system of government works. So we're, we're producing young people who just don't know nearly enough. And, uh, and we can change that. And I intend to change that. And we are already putting pieces in place. I'm coming up on the end of my first year here. Uh, and over the next several years, we, we expect to bring about dramatic change in our schools. Chancellor, uh... Uh, welcome to the show. Of course, you and I go way back. I remember when you were the press secretary for the attorney general of New York, Dennis Vaco. And uh, but over your uh, years, uh, I was asked to approach uh, the chancellor for full disclosure about a month ago by a group of parents because there's a tremendous problem right now. They don't have enough <laughs> bus drivers. They are trying to work with CUNY, the City University of New York, to get some of the students to learn how to drive the buses, which would be a job for them, a well-paying job. And at the same time, they would get college credit. What a brilliant idea. My goodness. How about that? Do you wow. want to comment on that, Mr. Chancellor? Or you just want yes, to... yes, yes. And I remember we, we spoke about that recently. And, you know, it's funny, going back years ago, I actually, I worked at the attorney general's office. It wasn't with Baco. It was with Oliver Capel. Oh, you're, you're absolutely Abrams. right. You remember Bob Abrams years ago as well. But, um, but I think when, we, we, when you and I met, it, it exemplified what we are trying to do here, which is to come up with real practical examples of how we can create a good school experience for kids that will ultimately put them on a path to all kinds of jobs. Uh, we should be growing our own workforce. Uh, and we graduate 80,000 students every year 
from the New York City public schools, uh, but, but there's not been enough intentionality, if you will, around getting those students placed into the healthcare field, into the transportation field, into the tech field. You know, we talk about career technical education and career connected learning. This is not your, this is not your granddad CTE. We're not talking about woodshop. We're, we're talking about kids having opportunities to be engaged in some real high tech stuff that gives them, where well, they've got to get real credentials. And when they come out, they can get real jobs, uh, whether they decide to go to college or not. Uh, and they can get off of mommy and daddy's payroll. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're working really hard to put a number of these things in place. Uh, Mike Bloomberg has joined this fight with us. Jamie Dimon has joined in with us. Uh, Northwell Health, uh, the largest health provider in the state, has signed on to work with us as well to provide all kinds of apprenticeship opportunities where kids not only get exposure, but they're getting paid even while they're in high school. We want to create their aha moment. I want kids in the ninth and 10th grade to say, I've got a level of exposure and I've been able to figure some things out. And now I know why it's important that I work really hard in my math class and my science class and my English class, because there's a, there's a goal, there's a, there's a purpose. Let me just say this finally. When you put kids on a sports field, those kids will practice football all day long. They'll do the wind sprints. They'll put in the time, effort, and the energy because they're very clear about what the goal is. They're trying to win the trophy. They want to win the championship. And when the goal is clear, kids will work really hard. Unfortunately, in education, the goal is not clear. We just send them to school and, 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 and say, you know, maybe at some point it'll all work out for you. Uh, we have to be much more intentional. And we have to make sure that kids understand the purpose of going to school. And I think when they understand the purpose, they will run as hard as anybody. And that's the kind of system that I'm trying to set up. Chancellor Banks, Horace Mann famously said that education is the greatest equalizer. And we all know that it is important, of course, to learn how to read, write and arithmetic and all that good stuff. But I think kids also need those after school programs. Not everybody's going to be a basketball star, but studies have shown that kids that are engaged in sports, they're engaged in after school activities, the music and the arts, they tend to do better doing their schoolwork as well. So is is that also part of the plan to try to get the uh, school system revamped? Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you said that. I, I told the arts community I'm going to be the arts champion as chancellor. Um, so whether it's basketball or football or music or graphic design or chess or, you know, moot court, mock trial. That's right. Kids need trial. to be engaged in things. The activity itself is not nearly as important as the creating a level of camaraderie, having a sense of purpose, learning the skills and the discipline. See, when you play, when you play a sport, it's actually less about the sport. It's about the skills that you're developing and the fact that you can't waste your time. You have to be purposeful. You have to be focused. You've got to sacrifice. You've got to practice. These are all the things that anyone, anyone who becomes successful at anything in life practices those same skills. There's a discipline. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've got to help our kids to get and understand how to have that discipline that will ultimately lead to success. And I will tell you, our kids are absolutely brilliant. The problem has never been the kids. It's always been about our preparation of our kids. And we've not done a good enough job. But we've got really brilliant teachers who are fully committed, who love these kids, and are ready to go. They just need more tools. And that's my job is to help give them the tools. 
so that they can help the kids be more successful. Chancellor, Chancellor David Banks, uh, thank you for coming on. And we have so much more to talk about, so we'd like to have you back in the near future. Uh, and um, New York City is lucky to have you. Thank you, John. You just made my day. I really appreciate you saying that. And I look forward to coming back anytime you invite me. Thank you. And thank you for what you're doing for our kids. And and uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Holiday. And uh, this is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back.